You are listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I am your host, Celine Yeager. Each week, I bring you advice from athletes, scientists, researchers, and other experts to help you feel and perform your best, no matter what your hormones are doing. This show is a production of Live Feisty Media. Hello, strong, feisty women. I am so excited to bring you this week's show. I had a chance to sit down with Evelyn Triboli, who is one of the original creators, along with her partner, Elise Resch, of Intuitive Eating. For those who are unfamiliar with Intuitive Eating, it's a system by which you reject dieting, stop counting calories, stop counting macros, and really tune into yourself and nourish your mind, body, and soul without all the baggage and stress that many of us associate with eating. Intuitive Eating was actually first published quite a while ago in 1995, and that's about when Evelyn and I first crossed paths when we were both working with the same health and fitness magazines of the time. But I never really got a chance to know her, and I am enormously glad that I have. Evelyn is real and raw and feisty and funny. I could have talked to her for hours, and as someone who has recovered from an eating disorder and who has battled body image and diet culture and honestly has been an unwitting perpetuator of diet culture myself, I am now pretty much fully an intuitive eater and it's very, very freeing. That being said, I also know that, as you guys know, I work very closely with experts like Dr. Stacy Sims, who recommend that women, especially active menopausal women, track stuff like protein to make sure they're getting enough to recover and support their activity. I do think that when we're talking about performance and recovery and fueling for exercise, especially when you're talking about races or marathons or gravel rides, gym work, there is a time and a place to pay attention and to do a little tracking and counting just so you see what it looks and feels like. Like a little experimentation is good and healthy in those spaces, but then I do think you can let your intuition take over. I also want to say that if you do track your macros or you use a nutrition app and it works for you and you're perfectly happy, by all means, go forth. Nobody is telling you to stop. But there are a lot of women who are not happy and who have been riding the waves and getting pulled under by the waves of diet culture for years, if not decades. And this is an opportunity to get out of those turbulent waters once and for all. Evelyn has a new book out right now. We actually recorded this show the day it came out, Intuitive Eating for Every Day, 365 Daily Practices and Inspirations to Rediscover the Pleasures of Eating. It's a great book filled with life lessons that we all could use, including how to cope with emotions, tune into our needs, and respect ourselves. I highly recommend it. I'll have a link to it in the show notes. Fun fact about Evelyn, aside from being a best-selling author and coveted international speaker, I also learned that Evelyn qualified for the Olympic trials in the first ever women's marathon in 1984. Before that, they thought our uteruses would fall out, and they actually tackled us when we tried to run marathons, if you'll recall that. She was the first one, uh, or she qualified in the first Olympic trials in that first ever official women's marathon. I love that. 
Okay, this is my little weekly reminder to check out our social media channels at Feisty Menopause. You can find us on Instagram and on Facebook. We have a private hit play, not pause Facebook channel where you can pretty much ask us anything that's on your mind. And if you want a deep dive into all things active menopausal living, we've got our Feisty Menopause membership where you will find in-depth materials created by yours truly, expert webinars, and you'll also get sponsored discounts. As always, please, please, please show your love for the show by following us on your podcast platforms, sharing the show on your socials, and hitting all those hearts or five stars, or however your platform lets you rate and review us. It makes a huge difference for me to bring you people like Evelyn. All right, enough of me. Let's have a super quick word from my awesome sponsors and get on with the show. Hit Play, Not Pause is proud to be sponsored by Noon Hydration in 2021. I have been a huge fan of Noon for well over a decade. They have products for immunity, recovery, getting a good night's rest, and I absolutely swear by their Podium series, which include branched-chain amino acids that are super important for women during and after menopause. So show your support and head over to NoonLife.com. That's Noon, N-U-U-N, life, one word. And use the code FEISTYMENOPAUSE, again, one word, with a capital F and a capital M, for 30%, yes, 30% off of all of Noon's amazing products. Again, NoonLife.com, use the code FEISTYMENOPAUSE, with a capital F and a capital M, and get 30% off of anything you want. Check it out. So without further ado, thank you. I appreciate yeah. you, you taking thank the time. Um, I've read through your new book, which is out. We are recording this on the, I don't even know what day it is, Friday. Your book is out, right? As it's we speak out. Now. It is it out. Is out. Yeah, yeah. That is exciting. That is exciting. I got a pre-release. So I was excited about that and I looked through it. So I'm going to set the stage for everybody who may not be familiar with what the intuitive eating concepts are. You know, there's just 10 tenets and, uh, you know, then we'll, we'll, we'll dig a little deeper, you know, but the first one is reject diet mentality. Boy, we have a lot to say about that right now. <laughs> yeah. Honor your hunger, make peace with food, challenge the food police, discover the satisfaction factor, feel your fullness, cope with your emotions with kindness respect your body, movement, feel the difference, and honor your health with gentle nutrition. So Evelyn, I need to be totally upfront with you. And yeah. I, I, am on a, I am on a karma bus penance tour <laughs> in, this part of, <laughs> in this part of my life. <laughs> I, you know what? I love that description. Let me get the laugh out of my, I didn't see that coming. That's okay. Um, yeah, but I, I love the, the transparency behind that statement. It's true. You know? I feel, you know, I've been in this, I've been writing in this world a long time. And I started in consumer press with prevention and banish your belly button thighs with all, you know, all of that, you know, with women's health, with shape, with fitness, with glamour, mm -hmm. with Marie Claire. I could go on and on and wow. on. And I feel like... I always thought that I, you know, and I really did. I like I in my gut, 
I didn't like the headlines they were putting on my pieces, but I felt like, well, we're trying to get people healthier. Like I really believe that in my young 27 year old heart. I actually really believe that. And I was super blind to the damage we were doing until I, I stepped out and I and I started meeting women who read my stuff, you know, and some of them would be moms of like, you know, the same age as my daughter. You know, we'd meet at things, at PTO things. And they 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 would look like they'd look at me like I must be disappointed in them. And uh. then they would. Yeah. Oh, my heart. And then mm. they would make these statements that made it clear that they were waiting to start their lives. You know, oh. un- un- until they until they achieved this this goal of being fit, not fat, you know, or mm. or, or eating. And it it at some point I, I made a I made a very conscious decision to not to just leave it because it was it was breaking my heart. And I and it something there was just something in me that was just like this. This is not the solution. This is not the solution. Right. Yeah. Um, so. I guess my question for you, my God, I mean, you wrote this book first in 1995. Is that correct? That's correct. Over 25 years ago. Yeah. And it's, and I'll tell you, it has continued to build when we wrote it, you know, it was research inspired and now we have over 140 uh, studies validating our work. And, you know, I'd like to, if I may make a comment on what you just said, you know, your transparency of your history. And, you know, I start most of my talks with that, that I was trained in diet culture. I have a BS in diet culture and a master of science in diet culture. And what I see for most people that I train and the people that I work with, but especially the, the people that are in spheres of influence, whether you're a writer, broadcaster, healthcare professional, they first they enter this phase of cognitive dissonance. When, they, when I start presenting all the research, how not only does dieting not work, it messes you up, increases all kinds of risk for things, and you know, perpetuates fat phobia, weight stigma, all these, these problems. And so I find that people go through this phase of cognitive dissonance because it's unlearning what you've learned. And then when you finally like cross over and you really embody it, then there's this tremendous sense of guilt and sometimes shame. I have a couple of health professionals that are processing that with me right now. I've talked to a couple of researchers who also feel that way. And so what I'd like to say is I believe as individuals and as a community, we are allowed to evolve. And I think what you just did by owning your... uh, your, your, your transparency, it allows everybody to grow and evolve. And, and to be honest, that's what I want to share with it. Even though I'm here to talk about my, my newest book, but when we updated the fourth edition of Intuitive Eating, Lisa and I went through a similar process. We went line by line through the manuscript and I was mm. like, oh, we were wincing. Some of the statements are statements <laughs> we, went, we went standby. Right, right. And I was surprised. We were so transparent about it. And we got feedback from a lot of people. Thank you. Thank yep. you. This this allows us to own our mistakes. So I need to be, we need to go into this with grace, mm-hmm. and and then we do better. We learn better, and and we do better. So I love you know what I love that term, the karma penance bus. You know, so I just <laughs> wanted to I wanted to acknowledge that and, and thank everyone's you because, a, welcome aboard. Everybody can come on. Yeah, I'm driving it. We can, yeah, yeah. We need a big cultural healing. And, you know, and I used to do a lot of freelance writing back in the day, and I was part of some of those headlines that I thought yeah. I was doing a good thing, realizing oh my gosh, this is harm. It's why I haven't changed. Changed in in my books at list uh, the titles of other books that I've written, and I don't erase those because that's part of my history. You know, yeah. I've evolved yeah. as well. So yay, right? Yeah. No, I hear you. That and that's yes, yes. I think we can leave it there. We 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 are evolving, and and you know, a study just came across my desk today about how 
you know, fat being protective against cardiovascular disease in women. There was this big study that came out and it's different than men. You know, imagine that, which is a big place where I live is how women are different from men. But yeah. so what inspired you all the way back in 1995 to, to get on this intuitive eating to, to tune into that? Yeah, it was kind of just almost similar to your story where the way that Elise and I were working separately using our tools of diet culture uh, wasn't feeling good. Uh, people were feeling bad about themselves and we were feeling bad about that and they were blaming themselves. We thought there has got to be a better way. This way is not working. And we, we, do we dove into the research. We considered our own practice experience. We also looked at some consumer books that had an influence on us like Overcoming Overeating by Hirschman and Munter. And then together, put together these, these 10 principles. And that's how that happened. So it wasn't, it happened out of being a witness to pain and suffering, you know? And, and that's why this is actually a pathway toward healing. It's cultivating a healthy relationship with food, mind, and body. And then with this new book that I have out, one of the, the themes throughout this is this idea. The idea of changing diet culture is really daunting. But when we say, you know what, what if you can end the legacy of diet culture at your own kitchen table, in your own family or whatever, how, however it is that you are living. And so this book is in little, little bite-sized daily pieces and passages to kind of, kind of break it down and help you connect in a world that is just steeped in, in diet culture right, right. now. Right. Still, you know? still, still, still to this day. Oh, bigger than ever now, because before it was just, <laughs> just <laughs> the diet industry, beauty industry and fitness industry, but now healthcare is also part of this, sadly so, you know, but there, there's a lot of doctors that are coming around, but the policies still need big time work on, on changing oh, and dismantling. Yeah. 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 I appreciate you bringing that up and you bring it up in the book quite a bit that the broader damage, I mean, we tend to think of it as an individual thing, right? Like your, your, your own self is being harmed by this diet culture, but you talk a lot about, you know, it's not just us, it's our families, it's our friends, it's the, you know, it's how we project to the culture at large. And there, a lot of this is racially biased and culturally biased. Um, and not even to mention, you know, I deal with women in the menopausal transition, you know, where, whose bodies are changing with hormonal shifts. So, um, yeah, thank you for, for illustrating that. Yeah, but but the point is it's 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 doable. And what I see happening with a lot of people that I work with is once they've broken free, you know, they 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 want to protect their 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 kids, their family, their partners from the harms of diet culture. And we can do this by setting loving boundaries. It's like, oh oh, you know, in my house, <laughs> we don't de all bodies are worthy of dignity and respect. We don't denigrate bodies. We don't criticize food choices or talk about macros and calories and so on. We like to actually connect and break bread together and in, in that and that's the sad part that when you are you are distracted into the worry of your eating and the fear of eating and your body you are your body might be present with somebody while you're eating but your mind has gone somewhere else and so you're not in connection you're not in connection with your own body let alone connection with the people that are important to you in your life and so this is about really it's getting your life back you know a hundred percent a hundred percent and and even if I mean you're not most of the most of the people I've seen who are really entrenched in this are not connected on, on many levels at that dinner table because they have their phone and they're putting in their macros or they're checking yeah. whatever, you know, and we're, they're not in the same ex communal experience at the table. Yeah. And so, you know, what I say too, you know, when people hear this message, sometimes it's brand new and they're like, what? <laughs> and sometimes people are kind of st starting to be down this pathway. And I say, there's no shame in terms of wherever you're at. You're doing the best you can until you know otherwise, you know? And so 
I start looking at how is this impacting? How is this impacting the quality of of your life? And that's where it starts to really get interesting. You know, it, you end up outsourcing your eating decisions to some influencer, some app, some tracking thing at the expense of getting to know your body. And I've had people say in tears, oh my gosh, I can tell you the macros, the minerals, I can tell you everything, <laughs> except I don't know how to F and eat anymore. Right. You know? <laughs> yes. And, and I, with, yeah. Yeah, well, and then with that, I will say, you know, how often have you been taught or reinforced to connect with your body? And usually the answer is like, not at all, unless I took a yoga class or something. Right, and right. I'll say, well, then it, then it makes sense then. You haven't been in connection. So, of course, this is brand new. We're starting brand new, and there's no shame in that. It's just we need to have some compassion for ourselves on this path, you know? A hundred percent. So I, I have a couple of, you know, as I was reading, my mind kept saying, okay, I, I, I'm I'm on board, I'm fully processing. And then I'd be like, okay, but what about, you know, like I just a couple little what abouts that I'd love that I'd love yeah. to, to address. Um, used to what abouts. <laughs> I'm sure you are. I'm sure you are. Um, you know, the and I, I had this to, for later, but I'll get it right out now because it's something I struggle with dearly. And I struggle with yeah. it um, with my own family and with myself sometimes. We are living in a world where our food supply is massively engineered. You know, we have we have people actually in labs trying to figure out how to make us consume more. We have advertisers trying to make us consume more. We have people, con you know, like we're in this environment that is doing everything it can from manipulating the very content of the food we buy, you know, to how we see it on screens all around us. How do you intuitively eat when when these forces and they're massive are trying to break that intuition? You know, it's it's a good question. I get this a lot. And I'm going to start really broad and they'll get more That's specific fine. to your yeah. question. And so, you know, one of the things we need to look at in our culture, there's a lot of fear mongering that goes on. Like, oh, you know, you're, you're one bite away from disaster. You know, this food's going to kill you or cure you or change your body. And I think we need to step back. And, and recognize it's it's not like that. There's a, a researcher I love to follow. His name is Dr. Ioannidis. He's out of Stanford University. He's an, a physician and a researcher. And he's done some fantastic uh, research and, and commentaries on, on nutrition. And he said, you know, if you think about there's over a quarter million different foods available to eat. And if you factor in 300,000 different plants, and then you factor in all the combination of nutrients and all the things we don't know, the things that feed the microbiome or whatnot, there is not one single study that controls for that. That's number one. Number two, when you start factoring other kinds of things that are related to health, but seldomly talked about in the context of nutrition, and that's availability of the food supply, uh, social determinants of health, uh, pov that include poverty, where you live, Trauma, if you as an adult had trauma as a kid, that has a profound impact. And so there's all this, this fear mongering that goes on. And in addition to what you just said, there's some truth to that. But what I like to say is, you know what, in a way, it's no different than a chef or you at home, when you're making a meal, you want to make it taste the best possible. We want to do that. And so what I find happens is, is when you've been stuck in diet culture, and you've given your agency away, it's hard to trust. It's hard to trust yourself. It's hard to trust anyone out there. 
what classically happens when you've been following some rigid plan, regardless of, you might have the best intentions of the world, the best health intentions, but it leads you down the rabbit hole. And it often includes a lot of loss of control eating, which again, disrupts trust and it creates more of this fear. But as you start getting reconnected to your own body sensation, hunger, fullness, satisfaction. Satisfaction is a really important one. I'm going to do a little sidebar and I swear I'm going to answer your question. No, no, you're answering it right now. Okay. Okay, (laughs) good. You are in the process of answering it with every word you're speaking. So go ahead. So with satisfaction, it's such a personal question. You know, what what would be a satisfying meal to you? And it look you look at things like what sounds good, what's gonna taste good, but what's also gonna feel good in your body? What's mm-hmm. going to sustain you? Sometimes people get so fixated on the, the most uber healthiest way you can eat in the world, they're seeking that out without connecting it to their body. Mm-hmm. And what happens with consistency over time and this is the big message that this is workable, you start to get a sense of what feels good, what's sustainable, that even with all these other forces around us, the marketing, the advertising, all those kinds of things, we are less impacted. Does it have an impact? Sure it does. But I think we have more, we're not giving ourselves enough um, credit for the capacity that we have to really check in. That's the message I want to, I want, I want to give, you know? And so, yes, there's an issue around marketing, but when we can start looking, well, what am I feeling right now? What do I need? What's going to sustain me right now? We get less reactive to those types of, of issues and those types of things that are going on. Right. That's a great answer. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And with this, I want to share it. It's so funny. I, I, I'm a geek. I love to read research. And there's a I study that made, oh, good, good, good. Yeah. There was a study that really made an impact on me. Uh, it was published in, in the late 90s by Paul Rosen. I call it the food worry study. He was the first person to look at four countries and look at their attitudes and dispositions around health and eating. So he looked at United States, he looked at France, he looked at Belgium, and he looked at Japan for various reasons. And what he found is that Americans worried the most about out there eating and um, enjoyed their eating the least. Uh, and he said, you know, even for all this worry, we're not getting anything for it. And the question he asked in, in, in analyzing this information, he said, you know, we are so worried about the impact of food on health. We haven't looked at the impact of the worry worry and stress is not good for our health. And so he said this before all the research came out on cortisol, allostatic load, all these things. So that's why I say I want to step back and go, wait a minute. We need to look at the big picture. It's not just what we put into our, we think that, oh my God, every single, every single nano thing is going to make or break us in our, in our health realm. And the truth is it's, it's much more all these other things that are beyond our control in terms of genetics, in terms of social determinants and all these things. Yes, we have agency. You know, and so one of the things I like to, to really say with intuitive eating, it puts you at the center of this model, your lived experiences, your, your thoughts, your feelings, and, and so forth. And what happens, I believe, is that the process of dieting, because it's so disordered now, it, diet, diet culture has normalized disordered eating behaviors. Mm-hmm. And, and, and eating disorders are, are, are trauma on the body. It's an assault on the body. And so when you're giving up your eating to some authority, you're giving up your agency and your autonomy. And so that that reinforces this this trauma thing. I know I'm getting into some some complex things, but it's it's when we when we keep um, going outside ourselves for the information, we do that at the expense of getting to to know ourselves. The wisdom is within. The wisdom is in within, but it takes checking in. 
You know, it takes some listening and the trust part. Yeah, it's so big. It's why it's, 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 it's a little subsection. It's actually a category in the book because I have found, I've worked with a lot of people who have read intuitive eating and they think it's amazing for other people, but they don't (laughs) trust it's going to work for their body. And that's why I like to look at, well, what have been some of the trust disruptors? How old were you when you went on your first diet? And I'll tell you, the younger you are, the bigger the trust issue because there's a powerful message that you can't be trusted. Your appetite can't be trusted. There's something wrong with your body. The good news yeah. is it's all workable. That's what I want everyone to know. But every time you try and fake out your hunger, that's a trust disruptor. Every time you try and fake out your fullness, that's a trust disruptor. Now, the good news is, is every time you honor your hunger, every time you honor your body, you are healing your relationship with food. You are saying to yourselves, I got you. I'm going to take care of you. You know, so there's a healing that can happen. That's that's the message I really want to bring forth. No matter how long you've been stuck in, in diet culture or even an eating disorder, recovery is possible. You can get your life back, you know. Can you move in with me? <laughs> <laughs> you know how often I've been, I've been asked that? I bet. <laughs> I've had people say, I want to put you in my back pocket, you know, but thank you. Thank you for that compliment. Yeah. Yeah. While you were talking, I just had like this really bunch of light bulbs go off though. Like how many times have I written in my career about the French paradox, the whatever paradox, all these paradoxes, how can they eat this stuff and they're thin and maybe it's this, Mm -hmm. maybe it's because of that, what you just said, that allostatic, that, that, they're they're living with their food and in themselves and they're enjoying and they're not obsessing about every morsel that they put in their mouth you know that that's exactly it and i'll tell you what gets me is is some of the oh it has to do with with the the diet culture how wild it's getting you know you you gotta count your macros it's like you know what the the grandparents in the blue zone countries they didn't count macros (laughs) you know and, and so it's, it's all this fear mongering, really creating doubt that you can't trust your body. Man, they're doing something to our food supply. Oh, you can't trust you, but you can trust me. You can trust my app. And I've seen apps mess up a lot, a lot of people. In fact, I usually use other words when I describe that, but. <laughs> I understand. I understand. And, and speaking of what's probably going to make you use other words, I have to get your thoughts. Intuitive fasting. Are you enraged? Oh. <laughs> You're like, I'm sorry to push that button, but it's yeah. out now, right? It's. Yeah, you know, I think it's a really good example of co-opting our work. And I, what I like to say, if that book is about sleep, then they might be onto something, getting enough sleep, <laughs> you know. But what it, it's a good example of co-opting something, you know, diet. So let, let, let me back up. Yeah, sure. it's, 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 it's incredibly disappointing. It's like, if you want to talk about intuitive eating, go to the source, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, don't co-opt our work to create the very opposite of what we're trying to do. We're trying to do a healing from diet culture. And so it's like gaslighting the consumer. And my biggest concern is the harm that it causes. I have had so many patients whose eating disorders began with some kind of fasting regime. I've had people's eating disorders start with going on keto. I never thought I'd ever, ever see that as a a lifestyle. And I want to stress they're going down this rabbit hole with really good intentions. And this causes harm. And the problem is that there's very little research on all these methodologies. uh, And when they do the research, they're not looking at unintended consequences. There is a study that 
just came out a few months ago. I think it was in JAMA. And it, they looked at intermittent fasting over a three-month time period. And it humbled one of the doctors. He goes, oh, my gosh, I've been wrong. It causes harm. You know, it ca cannibalizes uh, lean mass tissue. What are we doing? It's like, yes, what are you doing? What are we what doing? Are we doing? I was loving it. Number of people this much, you're doing some good. They're a diseased population that could uh, maybe actually benefit from some ketosis or whatever, right? But everyone you else. You know, I don't know. I'd have to look at it on a deep, deep level of it because what I keep hearing, and I'm hearing but science be yeah, weaponized, yeah. where I, I'll talk to people, they go, but the science, and I'll say, well, tell me what the science says. Is this an animal study? Yeah. Is it a human yeah. study? Was it an intervention study? How long was the intervention study? Did they yeah. measure for unintended consequences like loss of control eating, like constipation, like microbiome disruption, mm -hmm. which is huge. huge. You know, what is, the, what is the length of the study? We know in uh, weight loss studies, we're not going to see impact till minimally two years, more like around the five-year mark. And so that's why I get all worked up about this. It's not some harmless fad. This ends up impacting people's lives in incredibly you know, and, and it's enticing to some people who are really vulnerable. And then what it does, it confuses the term intuitive eating, you know? And so what I say for those who are maybe intrigued, you don't want to buy a book. You don't have to buy a book. Go onto our website. You can go onto my Instagram account dated January 4th through January 14th, 2021. And I did a 10 day series, including videos that really talks about what intuitive eating is. There's a lot of mis there's a lot of misconceptions. You know, there's over 300 million hashtags right now on TikTok on intuitive eating and 2 million hashtags almost on Instagram. And so what happens is if you go in there, it can look like a free for all and it's confusing. So I, so anyone who's confused is like, I get it. That doesn't, confusion doesn't offend me. <laughs> it's when people in places of authority or influence don't take the time to do the research and then they co-opt our work and they cause harm. In fact, I, I did a post called how to, how to spot fake intuitive eating, you know, because this isn't going to be the last time this is going to happen. So anything that disconnects you from your body is a problem. If your body is hungry and you're saying, oh, no, it's not my window of time, that's a problem. That that disrupts trust big time and, and, and can really lead to loss of control eating. We've seen that a lot, you know. Ooh, I'm all worked up. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I am too because intuitively yeah. if I was hungry, you know, back in the day, I would be spending the day looking for food, right? Yeah. I wouldn't be I wouldn't be just denying it. I would have my yeah. spear and like a bucket and I don't know what else. And I'd be out looking for food because I'm well, hungry. And, and we need I to look know. at the fact our bodies are so adaptable. You know, when you start looking at epigenetics and all these yeah. kinds of things. And back in those K people day, I think the life expectancy was in their 30s or 40s. And now yeah, our 34. <laughs> well, there you go. And so now our life expectancy is, you know, pushing 70 yeah. or early, early 80s, you know. Yeah. So it's just it, it gets me all this desire to biohack. And like, you know what, how about just connecting to the wisdom of your body with within and figuring that out? And yeah, that takes time. You know, yeah, I can't yeah. give you, here's the plan you do. <laughs> I can give you the, <laughs> the steps. I can give you way. I, I, what I often do, I describe as like a tour guide. I can point out all these amazing rides you can take. <laughs> Right. with your eating and your body and and so on but the work is a practice to connect in with yourself you know well hence the new book being like a, a 365 day tour right is that was well the purpose? it was yeah. you know you know when you made that that little joke about you know can you can i can i where you want me to take to, to hang out with you or something? Um, move in, move in. But that's okay. You, you could just hang you. out for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but 
I've had so many people saying that, including my patients, when they say, I wish I could put you in my back pocket. So that's part of where this book came from, is in these just tiny little things. Because when you read the book book, it's pretty, you know, there's a lot of science in it, a lot of case studies, and it's, there's, there's, it's big. And so this is just these little kind of passages to keep you on the way, you know? Yeah, little little inspirations. Yeah. I would love, I'd love to get your thoughts on, on, menopausal women in particular, because, you know, one of the things I hear so much from the women in my circles and the, so and the membership and, you know, all the, all the different channels from which I hear women in this space, you know, yeah. their bodies are changing so rapidly, rapidly and giving them these hot flashes and night sweats and headaches and muscle loss and vertigo. And um, it might be hard to feel like honoring or tuning in or trusting, mm. you know, I mean, what do you, you know what I'm saying? Like, what do you, I do. What do you, what what might you say to to those women in particular who are in a body that's like not cooperating the way it used to or not acting the way it used to? Well, this is where I'm going to invoke some personal experience as well. And I know yeah. I want to say I've I'm I'm a postmenopausal woman, so I've I've woman, so I've been there. Yeah. And what's really been sad in our culture is that this has not been something that's been embraced when you factor in ageism and all these kinds of things. And the fact that mm-hmm. guess what our our bodies do change. And yeah, it's maddening to wake up dripping in the middle of the night, full of you're hot and sweaty and and then now you want to go back to bed and you can't fall asleep. And so there are things going on. But what I'd like to say is that this is a, a normal part of our body's aging, you know, and we need to find ways to to work with that. That includes if you need to go, you know, work with your physician and so on and so forth, do it. And it's not our bodies betraying us. Sometimes mm-hmm. what's going on is it's the cultural expectation that our bodies don't change when actually they do. And so I like looking at, you know, aging with, with grace, you know, grace, meaning I'm not kicking and screaming about it. You know, the lines on my face are from a life, life worth well lived uh, yeah. and, and, and so on. And from the emotions experienced and so forth. So I'd be looking at, you know, what, what do I need right now? What do I need today? What do I need this week? Uh, to to be kind to my body. If we can invoke some kindness, that might be a way to go with it. And I think we also have to acknowledge it's really disrupting when our bodies are going through all these changes. Uh, and different women experience it differently. I've, I've worked with some women where, ah, what is, what, is, what is everyone complaining about it? Right. To other women where it's really profound and disruptive, you know? Yeah. Um, it's, we, I think we need to acknowledge it and not... Um, uh, make it like an oddity. It's actually a norm in the mm-hmm. process, but women don't talk about it enough. So it's awesome that you've got a, a that's that what your focus is, you know, that there's a place for women to gather and to learn and, and to connect and that this is part of the wisdom of our body, bodies yep. and the wisdom of, of our years, you know? Yeah, no, and, and And looking at some of the body of research on it in cultures where it's not as taboo, the experiential part of it is not as severe for most women. I mean, when they, when they look oh, at it, that makes, it makes wow. sense when you consider the stress component, as you mentioned, like stress is such a huge, we, we, we talk about it all the time, but I, I still to this day don't think people honestly appreciate the gravity of what stress does to us. You know, I completely agree. And then if we just go ahead and throw in this last year of, of the pandemic, you know, right. to be living and actually surviving a pandemic, and then with all of its turmoil and uncertainty, uh, and what it's done to, to people's lives, I don't know anyone who's not been uh, touched by it on some level, there's a lot of pain and that we're surviving this is like, holy moly, let's give ourselves a break here. You know, I, I will not <laughs> I will not name the New York Times columnist, but I don't know if you saw the New York Times columnist this week that came out. 
Oh my lord. Um basically saying shaming the bread makers, shaming <gasps> the people who put on weight. Shame oh, I mean it was Oh. It you should check it out. Long time New York Times columnist. Um Okay. I've never honestly seen anything like it. And I thought, wow. Okay. Uh this this is not helping. <laughs> and, like well, this- this is something I feel really strongly about, and that is we can't shame people into change. We can't. If we shame could, we'd into- all be like, whatever. We've been shaming people for yeah. forty years. Yeah, it's you like know? let's. This this is hard enough already. It's like, yeah. come on, you know how unfortunate. No, I'm not. Uh, you know what? I've been so it busy made it in circles this- in my. I, wow. mean, I had a bunch of people send it to me. I'm like, I saw wow. it. Stop sending it to me. I'm already angry. Um, yeah, but you know what? Yeah. I say it's it's a reflection of the culture. The fact that something like that is allowed to even be published. You know, at a time when we need uh, <laughs> inspiration and not shaming. You know, right? Totally, yeah. totally yeah. agree. Mm-hmm. Um, and speaking of like sort of healthy eating, I really like the the point in your book and and I have done this myself I've been super guilty of this uh you talk this my audience is very active you know probably does veer into what is the term for being disordered healthy eating ortho oh orthorexic yeah I'm sure there's quite a few of them I've been guilty of that myself but you know like so you're just like I'll eat all the vegetables because vegetables are good and vegetables are free and I can eat all the vegetables without feeling guilty but a lot of times it makes this piece of the intuitive eating or tuning into your hunger or whatever a little harder because they are very filling, but aren't dense, you know, with energy or, and and that was, uh, they're very fibrous, you know? So there's a little bit of a disconnect that can happen there. Um, Except, except that it's not, if you think about it, because like you you just named what happens that, um, from a volume standpoint, vegetables are filling. They fill your, you know, fullness receptors in your stomach. Right. But if all you were to eat were vegetables for a meal, and I've done this, especially in the summer when I'm getting the mood for a crisp salad, mm-hmm. that um, I'm hungry an hour or two hours later, and that was a meal. And what that is is that oh my god, my body is so smart. My body's like, dude, where are the carbs? <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so when so what tends to happen is you can be in this place where it feels conflictual, where you love the vegetables that you ate. Uh, you feel this bulkiness or the fullness in your stomach, and yet something is kind of missing. There's a little bit of want. There's a little need for something, something, something. And that is our body saying, we need a little bit more here. You know, yeah, yeah. these were tasty, but, uh, and, and that those are, those are clues. And so we can start looking at, ha, huh, I love my veggies. What else can I have with this meal that will also make it more sustaining? Now, the, 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 here's the good news is if, if it just turns out that, no, you just love it that way, then just be prepared to, you're going to be hungry more often. Eat more often. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And there's no shame yeah. in that. So it's about getting to know your body and, and connecting with it. And, you know, I've worked with a lot of people who you're, you're describing that you know, you kind of cross over into that line of, of orthorexia. I, I haven't met anyone yet who intentionally is that that's what it happens. And so what I look at is, you know, is this interfering with the quality of life to the degree there's no shame in wanting to be healthy and, and to eat healthy, so-called healthy foods. But when it gets to the point that it's impacting the quality of your life, that you're reorganizing vacations or going out with friends because there's nothing there for you to eat, I think it bears l- looking at. We have to remember our mental health is so important. Social health and connection is so important. So we look at those things and look at, I sometimes call it the middle way, 
you know I, I like to say that diet culture doesn't get to claim vegetables or or nutrition you know there's no shame in wanting to pursue those kinds of things but we need to look at my crossing over to the point that the part of the clue can be there's inflexibility with it when it gets pretty rigid that's when I need to step back and go oh I, maybe I need to re to rethink this and there's language that we used I forget in one of our books we call it for the most part that you might eat vegetables for the most part with a meal but it's not absolute and so if we can start thinking in those kinds of ways I think it's it's kinder you know yeah it is well and I also think I'll say it myself I've done it um you can use that healthy eating to disguise an, an eating disorder you can use it Absolutely. to mask an eating disorder um yeah I, I mean I I overcame bulimia and anorexia early in college. Mm. And when I got out of that, yeah, I was put on my first diet when I was eight. Oh my goodness. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. And, so and you, I don't think you ever really recover from that. I haven't. You know I'm 52. What I, I'm still not <laughs> totally recovered from it. I'm way better, but I have yeah. to tell you, I really believe that's a form, form of trauma because what's a kid going to do now? They're hungry, but the doctor said you're on a diet and parents are following through or there's the a food you want to eat. The list on the fridge eat. of what I could eat and what I couldn't eat. So then what, what's a kid going to do? They're going to sneak eat in most cases. They tend to feel guilty about it. And then they get into what I call opportunistic eating. Oh, mom or dad is not here. I better get it now while I can. And it can lead into some more sneak eating, binge eating. And they don't feel good. It doesn't feel good at the heart level. So, yeah, that's a huge problem. Huge problem. Yeah, it is. Huge problem. But, yeah. the, but to your point, and you bring it up in the book, you come out of that. And it took me years and I you know I, I still have to tune into myself all the time even as you know I'm an athletic woman I have been for a long time on how to eat which sounds yeah. insane but like you know I got out of that and I'm like I have no idea how a person is supposed to eat yeah well that's why like I said I hear it all the time all the time because of what you see in most um publication social media is all this prescriptive do this don't do that although there's more and more i'm thrilled to actually see a lot of women's magazines now moving toward this idea of self-connection i think it's part of the reason why intuitive eating is really taking off people are tired of the suffering they're tired of being told what to do and then but then there's this place of but what do i do you know it's like giving a writer a blank paper paper and saying write the best novel in the world right, you're just like <laughs> ah, never mind <laughs> and so that's why we've got some some guideposts to help you along the way yeah how long if how long do you think it in your experience does it take to make some of these connections you know that's such a good question i get it asked a lot and i will tell you it's highly variable so that basically the more complex your history the more complex with your relationship with food mind and body it's going to be more complex in the healing but healing is possible and i've stopped guessing i used to give answers on my best guess and i have pa have had patients surprise me or someone comes in with like a horrific history and they end up overcoming in a much shorter time because there was a willingness and a readiness maybe they've already had some really just the therapy. right time right yeah yeah but i think what's really important is not to judge yourself based on the process this is not a race this is a coming home it's a coming home to your own body and when you when you're when you've had a lot of doubts around it and you were raised in such a way to create worry and shame and distrust it's going to take longer you know and right now we're living in such a toxic culture as it relates to bodies that we that's why we just need this huge dismantling <laughs> huge yeah. dismantling yeah we're trying to dismantle a lot of things i mean i'm happy to see that finally uh body shape inclusiveness is is a thing you know because yeah. for a long time i would 
tell people, you know, try to get them into my sports, like whether it be cycling or whatever. And there would literally be no clothes that fit them. You know? Well, and that's problematic. And I'll, and I'll tell you, you're raising a really good point. So I'm going to share a little story. Okay. <laughs> so one of the ways that I started coping with uh, the the pandemic, and by the way, I'm, I'm very athletic. I've just, that's been my natural realm, right on the boys track team in high school and in college, Olympic trials. So I've always Ooh, Olympic just liked, trials. I didn't yeah, even, I marathon. Didn't yeah. I missed that part. Okay. Ah, I so I've, I've just naturally that's just me. I'm like a puppy. I like to play. And then when the gym's closed, I thought, okay, fine. I'll just, I'll go hiking and walking. I needed more intensity, but my body's at a place. I can't run anymore. I, I've had knee injuries and I just had to come to terms with that. So you know what I did? I took up surfing and I love it. And I've had people say, oh my God, cause I'm surfing. I'm 61. Yeah. I'm That's 61. Awesome. And I'm surfing. Yeah. So I started following this account on Instagram called curvy surfer girl. And, and their it. whole thing yeah. is about body diversity. And I've been posting them in my stories and I've had people say, I didn't know you can surf in a bigger body. It's like, yes. So that's why this is so important. The body diversity is a thing. It's like puppies, you know, where they come in all sizes, Italian little greyhound versus a big old mastiff. This, they're not doing anything wrong. They're just, that's, that's their genetic disposition. And so let's look at ways that we can have fun and connect with our bodies and not have it limit us, you know? I love that. I love that. And I love that I had a question in here for you that you reminded me of oh, in that? your book you curate some social media and podcast feeds you, you recommend people and it's funny because I often think like mine is wonderfully positive I see all these great images I don't see any like fitspo people that are shaming anyone and I think if everybody could just cure because you you, cre you can create your own atmosphere at this point you know what? You really can. And with that, I would also really emphasize, you know, body diversity and people all different shapes, sizes, ethnicities, genders, and, and so forth, because now you can see, oh my gosh, people are living happy, engaged lives. It can be in what I would call an ordinary everyday life kind of thing that you're seeing someone, you know, happily in, in, in a marriage and all of these other kinds of things or surfing or camping or traveling or whatever it is that you like to do. And I think that's been the problem with mainstream media. When you hold up one idealized body, the, the body of thinness that's been worshiped, that's generally in, in women's areas, it's, you know, the cis white woman. And when we start really doing a deep dive, um, a book that really had an impact on me was Fearing the Black Body, The Racial Origins of Fat yes. Phobia yes. by Sabrina Strings. I and when you start that. looking yes. at, yes, well, and that predates healthcare. And yeah. so this goes back really deep. And so this dismantling, there's so many intersections that we need to be looking at that this just didn't happen overnight, you know, and that's why this takes a while to, to work through and unlearn. It absolutely does. And I'm, I'm trying to find and I, I'll find it and put it in the show notes because I can't remember her total Instagram handle. But I worked, as I mentioned before, in all these women's magazines for years and we would do photo shoots. Right. Yeah. And the models that we had, the skinny white cis women, women would be smoking, not eating. They were like not helping. They could not do a push up. We'd fake it. I'd oh. be like, OK, you can't do a push up. So we're going to have to fake it for this photo shoot. So three, two, one snap. I mean. Oh my lord! And at the same time, she she calls herself she's like the f fat running chef, the black woman. She has a is it Latoya Latoya Shanti? Yes, yes, yes. I she's love her. The, I love I her. Yeah, she's doing box jumps. She's swinging kettle like she's like fit AF. She's doing amazing things. But yeah. we would have never had her on a never ever. Well, that that, would have that's never the whole point of diversity. Yeah, I remember they wanted to put me in there, and I was a cyclist and. I'll never forget it. Like 
the the photographer and i was in the shoot but she's like i'm not trying to insult you celine and she talked to the photographer and he's like what are we going to do about her thighs wow because i had i had cyclist thighs and to the photographer's credit he's like well she's a cyclist <laughs> you know so we're not going to do anything the body's going to body you know but, the, but the, like, there's nothing to fix nothing I'm to change i'm winning races doing all this stuff and all of a sudden i feel terrible about myself i'm like what is going on yeah. Well, you know, I'll never forget in the 2012 Olympics in London, the body shaming of these elite women in various sports, it made headline news. It's like, how dare you? <laughs> this is a good example of objectifying women and objectifying, but we are more than a body. We our body is our home of our consciousness, our soul, whatever, we're, our divineness, our humanity. That's what we need to be connecting with, you know? Yeah, 100%. So yeah. curate your social feeds, people. And, and Evelyn has a wonderful list of people. Yeah. Did you just like write them down as you found them? You have a very nice list of people. In the well, book. thank you. I follow a lot of people, you know, because yeah. something I actually actively did is, is to diversify my own accounts. And it's been awesome to get to know. That's how I've met people I would have otherwise not met, you know? Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, oh, I know what I was going to ask, because hmm. we are all part of this big bubble and I, I keep thinking like a lot of your a lot of your book is devoted to um saying no <laughs> interacting oh. with other people um yeah. you know I imagine people coming up against peer pressure right when they run when they when they're starting to 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 start any process whenever you start a process of any kind of connection with yourself or I don't want to call it self-improvement but you know what I mean like I do um how how much how much how much of the success do you think is around that in and of itself like just being able to be your authentic self and take this journey and be able to deal with the pressure from your loved ones from your friends from your yeah. family well, you know, and I don't even like to use the word success because with a lot of people, it conjures up certain types of images. And so I look at it as, as the connection, knowing what your, what your truth is and what you're connecting with. And so that's why setting these loving boundaries is so important. It doesn't have, I've had people afraid, oh my God, but I love my mom. She won't stop talking about her diet. And I said, well, you can tell, well, you tell her how much you love her, that she loves you. And then ask for some support that you know that you've been really struggling. Can, can you support me in what I've been doing? The answer is usually yes. And what that support would look like, it would be really helpful if we don't talk about anyone's diet. Is that something you can help me with? And if the answer is yes, awesome, but, the, but your job's not over. <laughs> In that conversation is about how having an agreement about how you're going to remind them when they forget. Because people, when they just are used to talking about things, they'll, they'll honestly just forget. Yeah. And so it can be something as simple as, you know, putting your hand up in the air like a stop sign. Go, oh, oh, oh remember, we're not going to go there. We're not going to go there. Something as simple as that. So it's these, these little tiny yeah. nudges, these little tiny teachings. And what really gets me with the people I've talked about, they'll say how what their grandma said or what their partner said or friend said really hurt their feelings. They made a derogatory comment about their body or about their eating. And I'll ask, wow, did, did you let them know how that landed for you? Oh, no. <laughs> you know, and I'll say, you know, the way you've described, you know, your friend, it sounds like she's an awesome friend. I would, I would think, 
if she knew that was the impact, she'd want the opportunity to correct that, to apologize and do differently. And so we are giving our friends opportunities, you know, to let them know in, in friendship what can help the friendship be be stronger and more rooted. But the other thing I also see, and I write about this really carefully, is this phenomenon of self-absorption when somebody is really into diet culture. That's all they talk about. And they're so excited. I, they, they, found, they found it. They found the, the real thing. And it's so predictable. And um, what ends up happening is they're unaware of the self-absorption. So they don't see the other people not wanting to talk about it, but they don't know what to say. So that's why I have the language. And then I even ask, you know, in the book, is it possible that you've been involved in that way? And again, no shame, but this is an example of how this interferes with our connections, you know, and it can be something as simple as, okay, hey, can we change, change the subject? There's so many more things to talk about. Or, oh my God, I haven't seen you during the whole pandemic. I want to just talk about where you are in life and what's going on. I, you know, let's, let's not, let's not spend wasting it on macros and whatever, 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 you know, stuff like that. Yeah. A hundred percent. And, and I, I think, I think maybe one of the, the, the final outlying questions that I'd like to ask you is about, and you yourself can answer this, about an athletic audience because they specifically get another layer of oh, yeah. prescriptive, do you know what I mean? Prescriptive I diet. Do. Like, and And some of it is, you know, as somebody who is, you know, you have raced at a high level, I have raced at a high level, you know, some of it you need to pay attention to, right? Like sometimes I need to make sure that I'm getting my recovery, I'm getting what I need to, to fuel an effort. Like I do sure. need to, you know, like that's all legit. Um, but then that can also put you on that other path that sort of separates you. You know, there's times when I'm on my bike that the last thing I want to do is eat something, you know, but I'm like three hours into what's going to be a seven hour day and I better eat something. So, yeah, so you know, yeah. Yeah. So I, I call that nourishment as self-care. And also, by the way, when you're training intensely like that, you, there's not a lot of hunger that's going on because your blood flow None. is going to your exercising <laughs> muscles. And so this is where we, we use our wise mind that we know in order to sustain this activity that I want to do, mm-hmm. that I need to nourish my body. In fact, as a side note, I will never forget working with a pretty world-class cyclist who came in to see me and he said he thought he was lazy. And I asked how much he was training. The amount of hours he's put on the road was, was, was just unbelievable. And he says, and I said, I don't, I have a feeling you're not getting enough to eat. And he says, oh, but I eat as much as my friends. Well, do your friends cycle? No. <laughs> and it turned out he was exhausted because he wasn't getting enough to eat. Oh my God, and so he probably was just, eating like a thousand calories less than it he just, It just eat. wasn't enough. So you yeah. have every right to nourish your body in the way that, that feels good and it's going to help you uh, do what you want to, to be doing. Um, but what I've seen happen and actually this has been in my personal life, especially when I'm training, people would make comments, oh my God, you're eating so much. And I'm thinking, first of all, it's none of their business. Number two, very appropriate for my body. Three, I don't need to explain my choices or quantities to you. I'd love to see it in the culture where we don't explain why we're eating or not eating or, or those kinds of stuff. And that we don't talk about uh, these these things. It's like asking what color underwear do you have on or do you have any, on, it's like none of your business. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fact. <laughs> Allow me to show yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, you can be into your sport and into your training. And I used to get what I would call the primal hunger. You know, I can mm, remember I was I, I was love an the intern. primal hunger. <laughs> yeah, and I'd, I'd be like the one like I gotta I gotta go eat lunch. Everyone else busy work, and like, here here I am. You know, stopping the work. But you know, that's that's taking care of your body. There's no shame in that. You know, good for you. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no shame in it. It's just I, I think that I was also just curious, like. um, I, I guess you can keep your overriding your tuning in. You called it something. Um, 
when I'm when I'm on my what's what'd you call it? when I'm on my bike and I'm not hungry but I know I have to eat so my my brain is sort oh of yeah I like, call I call it nourishment of self care you know we can use our wise mind you know, there's that times that okay yeah right. because our, our our signals can be offline when you're really under a lot of stress when you're doing intensive training we don't disregard it you know we, we use our wise mind and we use our own history okay what foods do I to sustain and tolerate you know because right. while you're writing there's certain foods that might agree with you and other foods that that don't or you're not going to carry with you because of the pain. <laughs> You know? Right, right. And that's all part of the intuition. It is that mind-body connection. And sometimes the mind has to talk to the body, right? Like, right. No, we can use it in the interest yeah. of self-care. Because you're right, yeah. that's sometimes that people get misconstrued, that it's only just about, well, whatever you feel. We can use our own experiences and our history and our wisdom to say, you know what? I don't feel good. I have no appetite. I'm stressed out, but my body still needs nourishment. What would be a kind way to feed my body? What matches where I'm at right now? And also, if you're not feeling well, what matches my energy level? Because you generally don't feel like cooking a three-course meal, even if you enjoy cooking, not when you're sick or stressed out. It might be something really easy that you're pushing a microwave button to, you know? A hundred percent, right. Yeah. Is there anything that you would like to tell our audience that we haven't covered yet? I feel like this has been... Oh my gosh. It's, I, whenever I get asked a question like that, I feel like this duty to say something wise. Ah, so here's what <laughs> you I, said so much say. wise. But, go ahead. <laughs> but you know, I think the thing I would, I would say is to never forget that only you can be the expert of your body. No person, no guru, not me can, can tell you what you're experiencing, you know, and we need to reclaim that and get your, your agency back on that. And it's, it's a gift. And, and this work becomes really life changing and, and, and you flourish when you're not outsourcing your brain space to the minutia of diet culture. You know, it's profound. Like many of you, I try to eat well, train well, take the supplements I need and track my recovery, sleep and progress. So imagine my surprise when I found out I had elevated blood sugar, high cortisol, out of whack lipids and was borderline anemic. Yeah. All while I was racing well and feeling actually pretty great. Turns out, all of my training stress was taking a hidden toll. How did I find out? Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is a service that analyzes your blood, DNA, lifestyle, and fitness trackers to provide you a personalized, science-based, trackable action plan on how to live, age, and perform better. Inside Tracker is simpler, cheaper, and more convenient than traditional blood tests, and their blood tests also include biomarkers that are key to performance that you don't get from traditional blood tests like ferritin and vitamin D. My favorite part? They don't just give you data, they provide you with nutrition and lifestyle tips to take action. And I've taken those actions myself and have been improving those markers and ultimately my health. So for a limited time, my friends at Inside Tracker are offering my listeners 25% off their entire store. So go to insidetracker.com slash feisty menopause to take advantage of that offer. Again, it's insidetracker.com slash feisty menopause. I can tell you it works. Okay, that's our show. Join me next week for a really fun and informative discussion with rock climbing legends, Nancy Fegan and Maggie Odette. I've had requests for a rock climber on this show since I started the show. And well, now I have two. Even if you're not a rock climber yourself, I guarantee you, you will find plenty of inspiration and education in this one. 
So tune in next week. And until then, as always, stay feisty, my friend. You've been listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I'm your host, Celine Yeager. The show is edited and produced by the strong, talented, and amazing women at Live Feisty Media. Follow us on social media at Feisty Menopause, and please help us spread the word. Screenshot and share this episode on your social media channels with the tag at Feisty Menopause. Share the show with your friends, and please subscribe, like, review, and rate this show wherever you get your podcasts. Word of mouth and good reviews make it easier for other listeners to find. Thanks for listening, and as always, stay feisty. Stay feisty.